for me, he was a proxy for Trump. I mean, all these films are like proxies for someone else, right? Uh, so yeah. for me, he was like this perfect kind of Trumpian figure. It, it's so interesting to see mm. the Chinese version of Trump, right? Yes. Welcome to Mosaic of China, a podcast about people who are making their mark in China. I'm your host, Oscar Fuchs. So in last week's episode with V, we discussed that the population of Shanghai was the same as the entire population of Australia. Well, in fact, as my friend Alston in Chengdu pointed out, this comparison was based around the number of people who have the official residency, or the hukou, in Shanghai. So let me be clearer. The population of Australia is estimated at around 25 million. The population of Shanghai that have the hukou is around 24 million. But in terms of the total population of Shanghai, which includes people without the official residency, it's anyone's guess. By some estimates, it could be as much as 35 million people. If you're interested in learning more, just search for the Hukou, H-U-K-O-U system, and you can find out more about it online. The reason I mention this in particular ahead of today's episode is because we talk a lot about migrant workers in this conversation. This week, I'm talking with Noah Sheldon, who has been making photos and films of workers in China over the last decade or so. We discuss some of the factory conditions that aren't covered in much of the world's reporting on the issue, and we focus in on the lives of one or two examples of the people Noah has encountered as part of his work. I first met Noah at um, the leaving party of a friend of mine who worked in supply chain, and Noah was there because he was an official photographer for this company. I was curious to understand what that meant and what kind of photos he took, and this is what ultimately led to today's episode. The company in question is a big fan of the non-disclosure agreement, and you'll hear Noah mention NDA, the acronym for this, in our conversation, and it's the same reason why you won't hear him mention the name of the company itself. The other two useful things to know is that the word Laoban simply means boss, and the word Chabudwar means more or less, or not far off. And one more thing, I've purposefully edited down our conversation a little shorter than other episodes in this series. This is because I want you to have no excuse to spend four minutes watching one of the short films that Noah mentions in our chat. So when you hear us start to talk about this, pause the podcast, go to noahsheldon.com, find a series called Work Is, and scroll down to find the film in question. You can't miss it. And I'm not exaggerating, it's only four minutes long. It will give an extra context to this conversation, and it's a beautiful piece of work. I'm here with Noah Sheldon, photographer and filmmaker, and welcome to Mosaic of China. Thank you. So what object have you brought today? I brought a camera because that's, that's a lot of kind of what my relationship to China has been. It gets me out of the house. It gives me something to do. It, it, yeah. uh, the first time I came to China was um, in 2003. I was working on a, it was like an annual report for United Technologies, this huge conglomerate. The subway system in Shanghai was brand new, and I was here to photograph the escalators and elevators mm. <laughs> for uh, Otis, which United owned. Right. And so I was here doing that, and it was my first time in Shanghai. Shanghai was, um, you know, the Bund was very different. A lot of things were very different. Uh, I took a lot of pictures out of my hotel room. Then when we moved to Shanghai in 2010, uh, nothing was the same. It was amazing. It was like there was maybe two buildings standing from the kind of panorama from out, outside my window, mm. still standing. We we only lived like a block away from the the hotel I stayed at in 2003, which was very funny. And 
do they still have the Otis escalators in the metro? They do. They do. Yeah, so I was there for that. Also some kind of hydraulic pump factory, which which I loved. That was like a small factory. That was in 2003. It was the same trip. It was like um, some company they owned. And they had like a little DJ booth where, and they had the system where they had a schedule of what worker got to choose the music that they'd play in this factory. You've you've probably gone to quite a few factories in your time. Yes, yeah. So one of the things that brought me here uh, a lot before, even before I lived here, was I do a lot of work with a large uh, technology company. And for them, I was involved for, for a number of years in terms of their responsibility towards their workers and their supply chain um, and the environment. And so through that, I got to see all of these. I, got, I probably visited over 100 factories, tiny little suppliers to huge, huge factories with hundreds of thousands of workers, um, <clears throat> you know, the size of cities. Um, and yeah, it's been fascinating. It's been a really interesting kind of glimpse into a different side of China than a lot of people see. And one of the things I've gotten to do is I've gotten to do a lot of interviews with workers and trying to figure out how to kind of make things better in those situations. So we we have this way of um, when reading a story about, you know, a factory in China, our consumption makes these people, you know, slaves or something like, something like that. I mean, that's... That's, and that's, that's like a preconceived idea before we even go to the factory, right? I think so. I think so, yeah. And then... When you go to a factory, there, there's there's so there's so many interesting factors, you know that 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 you that really don't get covered in the press. Um, I, the the biggest thing I would say is the whole kind of idea of being a migrant worker in your own country. You mm-hmm. know, this idea that we have, you know, in China there's 300 million or 400 million, whatever the crazy number that I keep hearing is, um, migrant workers in their own country, and that's like that's kind of given as background in a lot of stories, but when you actually think about what that means, it's a really interesting condition. And it's um, and when you talk to workers, that's that tends to be one of the big ones. It's either you know young workers. It's exciting to be away from their their home, their farm, or whatever. And older ones, you know, who have families and who have kids, that that tends to be something that's very hard for them. Um, so so you don't realize how kind of temporary these these jobs tend to be for a lot of workers um and the reporting never reflects that we think of people having these as careers for you know lifelong careers and it tends to not be the case right i think for a lot of people it's like a first job uh you know the, the workers going to factories has changed so much obviously uh, i think e- even 10 years ago you know it was a lot of farm farm workers who were kind of happy to be inside and you know, they would work seasonally when there was no work to be done on the farm, stuff like that. And now, you know, young people obviously expect a lot more. Um, and for them, it's like, well, I'll work in a factory, or but what I ultimately want to do is I want to open up a hair salon back in my village or, or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and that, that's been really interesting to kind of see that, that shift it's like a university for kids who will never get to go to university, right? Like the entire factory, hundreds of thousands of people are, you know, 18 to 25. And I mean, some of them, it's it's very funny. When, once the kind of sun goes down and there's, there's park benches everywhere, <laughs> and 
there's like you see all these young couples kind of holding hands and it's very it's very sweet um it's, it's interesting yeah in all of your experience with with workers are there any specific stories that that jump out any particular people that stay in your memory just a couple of years ago i started a series of films um based on you know the the, the company i do a lot of work for i I'm under, I'm bound by a lot of NDAs. So I thought it would be so great to be able to kind of give context to these stories um, without breaking those NDAs. So I found kind of um, almost like proxy stories. So if the issue is being a migrant worker, being away from your children, um, I thought it'd be so great to find someone who kind of has a similar situation. And that, that's not hard in China, right? So I did a film about a woman who's a styrofoam box recycler. So much of her life is, um, you know, li- living away from her kids, or her kid. Um, I mean, there's this heartbreaking part of the movie where she talks about she hasn't been home. You know, the longest she went without going home is three years. And when she went back, her kid didn't recognize her, wouldn't call her mom. And... Uh, I think that condition of being, you know, it, I went I went to her village. I tried to get her to come with me, but she didn't want to go. She didn't want to skip work. And so I went, and it's only, you know, it's a not even a three-hour train trip. It was really, I think it's shorter. Um, and so, it was, yeah, it's a bit, a bit heartbreaking to kind of imagine that condition where you're so close to home, but you can't go there. And did you show her <laughs> the uh, the final video? Yeah, I did. Like, she still couldn't figure out why I made a film about her. She was like, yeah, this is just normal. Mm. Um, and so was was that film released in China? Like, what, what was the uh, the feedback? I've most, It's mostly been out of China. Um, it's been a bunch of film festivals and had a really nice response from people. But I've, I've also gotten a nice response here. Um, yeah, people are pretty amazed to see her story. And, and what most Chinese tell me is, you know, like, they see these people all the time and they would never think to ask them their story. Right. Yeah, a huge inspiration for me is, um, I don't know if you know the work of Studs Terkel? No. He, Studs Terkel was a, a great you know, Chicago journalist. Um, he did a great series of interviews on work where he just asked normal people kind of about their job. Um, you know, it's something that we do most of our time and yet we don't we don't talk about it that much. Mm. I think you can you can look at picture people, you can objectify them, but as soon as you you get their story, then then obviously then you you can empathize with them. Right, right. That's key. You're right. There was another work project that I know that you were involved in, and that was that um, that documentary you did about the hairdressing school, right? Yeah, yeah. So I I've been really interested in kind of a range of jobs and a range of personalities, right? So I've spent time with um, the guys who scalp mooncake tickets, um, the guy who owns a fireworks factory, a uh, hmm. Sichuan opera singer. There's a lot. The, a Taobao model, like a fast fashion kind of e-commerce um, model. She was great. Yeah, quite quite a few different topics. And, and I have this list of like 100 occupations or kind of locations I, I would love to film. And one of them has always been kind of this figure of like a Laoban, you know, like this big boss guy. And there's this incredible hair school called Wenfeng, 
where this guy has kind of modeled himself as this kind of cult of personality. Um, and he has these very, he runs this kind of very militaristic school of hairdressing and, and makeup and different, you know, beautician kind of processes. And so I, I was fascinated by this guy. I walked past his salon like every day. He has salons all over China and he trains thousands of hairdressers. Just this kind of, I mean, it's, he's vi- for me, he was a proxy for Trump. I mean, all these films are like proxies for someone else, right? Uh, so yeah. for me, he was like this perfect kind of Trumpian figure um, that, you know, you could, it, it's so interesting to see mm. the Chinese version of Trump, right? Yes, it's like, because he created his own reality in that place. And, and, and obviously, you know, you can look at it as an outsider and go, what, how does that work? But as an insider, of course, you, you drink the Kool-Aid. Right, exactly, exactly. And 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 I don't know. I mean, some of the employees we talked to definitely are drinking the Kool Aid. Uh, they're t- fully, you know, they fully believe his his crazy claims. Other, um, I we got the sense that they're kind of just in it for the 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 way they can get like commissions or the way they can get. Right. You know, it was interesting. It really is. I mean, it's a huge community. So they there's there's definitely a spectrum in that community. Yeah, but yeah. Well, and it's it looks like then you're moving away from photography and more towards filmmaking. Is that is that true? I do a fair share, um, and the world seems to be moving more towards motion in general. I mean, mm. I think with five G internet, things are going to change very drastically. Um, so I would just want to talk, bring it back to the camera. So I when I came to China, um, when I moved here, we moved for my wife's work. And I was doing quite a bit of work here, but I was also doing quite a bit of work everywhere. Um, and I mean, I was traveling to Europe a lot. I was traveling all over the place. And so I came here with kind of the idea. I, when I got here, I started a blog, um, like a photo a day blog. Uh, my daughter was one at the time. So I would kind of wander around with her, but I'd always bring the camera um, just as a way of kind of interacting with the world around me. I, I I quickly printed some cards saying, hi, you know, like I had my friend write in Chinese, like I'm I'm a photographer and I'd like to take your picture. Can I take your picture? Nice. <laughs> and so I'd walk up to people and hand them the, the card. And my daughter was great. Yeah, you know, I'd bring my daughter and they would see a baby and that was a great icebreaker. And mm. and I realized there's there's just not, there wasn't a lot of kind of normal, you know, when you Googled pictures of China at that time, you'd see like pictures of pandas or the Great Wall or something like that. And I, I really, I really appreciated that interaction. I really appreciated kind of being that, uh, you know, making this archive for someone. The thing that brought me to photography in the first place was when my mom passed away. Uh, I was 15 and she, um, she had made these like little family photo albums, um, kind of crappy like family photo albums that she had thrown together. And when she passed away, I was just, I, I couldn't really talk to people. I was feeling very, um, she had been sick for a while and she finally passed away. And so I would spend a lot of time looking through these family photo albums. And I was just amazed at kind of what these photos had become overnight. You know, they went from being these crappy snapshots to being these really weighty kind of documents. And for me, that transformation was just fascinating. It was... um kind of scary, but also really incredibly powerful. 
and kind of the idea of documenting everything became really comfortable to me. And so I started doing that. Uh, I started getting more and more interested in photography. And so for me, so much of what kind of photography and filmmaking is, is documenting something that won't be here, right? You know, so so when I got here, I realized like no one was telling those stories. I, I couldn't find them. And I, and I think even, you know, I, I, the thing I, the thing that would happen to me most often, especially when I first got here, I was really just like taking pictures all the time of everything, um, was old people, young people, all kinds of people would walk up to me and say, why are you taking a picture of this building? Go take a picture of that new building. Mm. You know, this building's old. It's, it's, it's going to be torn down. It's mm. blah, blah, blah. I thought that was so interesting, a place like without kind of nostalgia. Um, and I think that's that's a big part of China is that like change has been so rapid and so, you know, the, the cultural revolution did so much to kind of erase so much. Well, thanks so much. Uh, we covered a lot of ground there. Really appreciate that. Um, and now on to part two. Okay, so the first question is, what is your favorite China-related fact? Let's see. So according to Wikipedia, which I just looked up, there's 287 million rural migrant workers in China in 2017. Wow. Which um, I think is amazing to be migrant workers in your own country. I think that's a really interesting kind of policy because of the residency permits and stuff like that. Yeah, because there could be there could be equivalents in other countries, but they don't track it in the same way, right? You know, this is a way of controlling things like urban slums and stuff, right? They're, they keep people tied to the countryside, which is a really interesting policy. Um, and I have to say, like, it's it's managed growth in an interesting way. There's there's obviously a negative fallback, fallout from it, but it's, yeah, it's fascinating. Do you have a favorite word or phrase in Chinese? I have a, I have a least favorite, chabudo. A chabudo? Ah. I... Absolutely despise that. Really? Oh yeah. my, that's actually one of my favorites. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's uh, you know, in, in terms of working and stuff, and if you're really going for excellence, mm. it's this really dangerous mm. kind of idea of it's good enough. Right. Yes. I mean, there's, there is a time for chabudwar and there's a time for, you know, get it right. And right. obviously in your, in your line of work, there's more, there's more perfectionism than, than, than a chabudwar. Yeah. But you're right. You're right. There is a very positive side of it. It's just, yeah. When when you don't want to hear it, it's the last thing you exactly. It's the last exactly. thing you want to hear. What's your favorite destination within China? You know, I, I've been to um, kind of the Tibetan Autonomous Area in Sichuan. I think that's amazing. Um, rural Sichuan is amazing. I, I'm always ex- I I love Shanghai. Shanghai is such a beautiful, amazing city. Um, but I always love getting out of Shanghai as well because yeah. it's like you don't have to go far. You go, mm. you know an hour outside of Shanghai and all of a sudden you're in this very different place. Um, yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, <coughs> rural Sichuan is on my list, so thank you. Mm. If you left China, what would you miss the most and what would you miss the least? I, I love the kind of social, uh, the, the, the public life here. I love I love seeing things on the street. I love seeing kind of life lived out on the, on the street. I, I live in a lane house, so I love hearing the neighbors. When, when we go visit my dad in Chicago, my, my daughter's instantly are like kind of freaked out about how quiet it is there yeah I, I love the optimism here I love seeing kind of you know you have this huge 
percentage of the population, I, I think at this point, probably everyone who's kind of have only seen progress, right? And that's amazing. It's very different than uh, when you go back to the U.S. or somewhere else where people are much more um, skeptical. And is there anything that still mystifies you about life in China? Yeah, how can how things can be Chabadou and that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, Chabadou again. <laughs> yeah, Chabadou. I mean, that, that, that just really, I can't get over that. Like, to <laughs> me, that's just so, um, that sounds so bad because obviously people are doing amazing things here and people strive. But I do think it's kind of like, I don't know, it, it, it holds a lot of things back. Right. What is your favorite place to... Uh, to eat or to drink or generally to hang out in Shanghai mm. or elsewhere. Mm. There's a restaurant we love. Uh, what is the name in Chinese? The, the English name is In-N-Out. It's a horrible translation. Burger? No, no. In-N-Out. Uh, it's a Yunnan restaurant. Oh, right. And it's in Hubendao um, Mall. And it's, uh, but it's so excellent. It's, I know um, it. It's on the third floor. Yes, exactly, I know it. Exactly. I think the food there is so great. Um, but they don't have a lot of alcohol, so that's that's kind of a problem. Um, okay. <laughs> What's your favorite WeChat sticker? Mm, there's one that I've been very fond of lately, which is a, a girl on a bicycle chasing a motorcycle. And what in what context do you do you use that? Like when you're running late, or more like um, doing something impossible? Like we can, yeah, we can do it. Like, <laughs> like yeah. But, yeah, I, but there, I'm, there, I'm also very fond of the 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 boy with the lar- extremely large comb slowly combing his hair yes that's a very good one there's actually if you look at both those stickers there's no chabudwar about either of them no so that's probably why you like them yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're fully fully <laughs> what is your go-to song at ktv my favorite ktv song is um if you want to get everyone going you can always do tiny dancer oh very good i think that's uh that's that's a classic everyone loves that <laughs> and finally what what other China-related media or sources of information do you most rely on? Mm. I find, you know, people like Bill Bishop, um, Sino, the old Sinocism blog, I find them pretty pretty amazing. A book I want to reference that I'm obsessed with is called The Corpse Walker mm. by Lao Yiwu. Mm. And that that's, a, that's an amazing book. He kind of is the studs circle of China. Well, thank you so much for your time. No, it was fascinating. And before you leave, tell me, if if there was one person who you'd recommend uh, that I should interview next, who would it be? People doing really interesting things here. I think the people at the Wrong Design Library are fascinating. They're doing such an important thing and uh, creating such an incredible archive. Giovanna and her husband, Leigh, they have created this incredible kind of archive of, of Chinese design, um, both traditional and, and, and kind of folklore and, and more modern stuff. Um, and it's absolutely phenomenal. Awesome. I look forward to meeting Giovanna. Thanks so much, Noah. Great. Thank you. That was fun. So that was the smooth and relaxing voice of Noah Sheldon. I probably should have warned you about that at the beginning of the recording. This is probably an episode for listening to when relaxing on a sofa by a crackling fire. I take no responsibility if you were listening to it while driving late at night on a dark country road or operating heavy machinery. Once again, to see Noah's work, go to noahsheldon.com and look under the heading Work Is. 
Um, you'll also be able to see details um, on his site about where you can see the film about the boss, the Laoban, of that chain of beauty schools. The title of that film is The School of Beauty and Long Life. Since this interview was recorded, actually Netflix has released a great documentary movie called American Factory, where you can see another Chinese Laoban, this time of a glass company, and it focuses on what happens when a similar kind of traditional Chinese factory culture gets exported to suburban Ohio. The film does focus on the predictable clash of cultures, but I thought it was um, quite an even-handed attempt at showing the pros and cons of both working cultures. As for connections between Noah's episode and other guests in this series, Noah was the second person to mention Bill Bishop's Sinocism as one of his favourite sources of information about China. The other person was Eric Olander back in episode 3, and I definitely also recommend you get on his mailing list. Thanks very much to everyone who is following the podcast on social media. I really appreciate all of your contributions. I forgot to take a selfie with Noah this time, but there are still lots of interesting images um, from this week's episode. There's Noah with his object, his camera, of course. The phrase Chabud War, meaning more or less or not far off, that terrorizes Noah's life. His favorite WeChat stickers, his favorite uh, Yunnan restaurant, In-N-Out, and the Chinese for that is Yizhuor, Yiwang some photos depicting the Wenfeng hair salon, and the book he mentioned, The Corpse Walker. There's even a photo of Noah's inspiration, Studs Terkel, which includes his name, so you can see how on earth it's spelt. Mosaic of China is me, Oscar Fuchs, editing by Milo de Prieto, artwork by Denny Newell, and China technical support from Alston Gong. See you next week. (laughs) 